Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 70 of the Seatstruck Movie Podcast. My name is John. Joining me today is my co-host, Curtis. Hello. Today is a lovely December 18th. Very excited today. Today is my selection for our little Woo-hoo. Christmas <laughs> canon, Christmas month, whatever you want to call it. Um, I picked the classic uh, 1974 Canadian horror film, uh, Black Christmas, uh, directed by the I would say the great Bob Clark, someone I think a lot of people wouldn't actually know a lot about. Um, He passed away roughly about like 17 years ago. Uh, But a man behind a lot of really, when you actually get into his filmography, a man behind some of the most successful Canadian films of all time, most notably Porky's, which I think today um, Porky's is still one of the all-time greatest box office success stories a little known film filmed in canada that's kind of funny funny isn't it because like everyone i talk to has never seen porky's but it's like yeah it's kind of a lost relic of like (laughs) it kind of was that lost era of like 80s kind of lad films but porky's is actually honestly a pretty good film but like he made that of course and he made a few other films as well too like um but but because of the success of porky's he kind of got into more kind of like bigger family or kind of films like uh children but he did of course children shouldn't play with dead things murder by decree but and he also directed a christmas story which is a is a pretty popular one i think it's probably his most popular film i'd film. heard of it yeah yeah a film that's a christmas <laughs> classic to this day it gets replayed all in all but black christmas has always been near and dear to my heart since the first time i ever watched it and very excited to talk about it in more detail today um but before we get into detail talking about black christmas uh, I guess we'll go through our recent additions to our watch list. So, Curtis, you've got some fun ones on there. What have you added uh, recently to your list? Yeah, so I had a couple to my list. I added um, uh, AO, which Quinn talked about last week, too. I just thought it was kind of interesting. So Quinn kind of oh, yeah, encouraged movie. me to... Yeah, it's Donkey Movie. says Donkey, donkey Wandering Europe and probably all kinds of terrible things are going to happen to that poor donkey, but I was, or maybe it'll be like a really nice story. And just like the donkey is going to have like some good times. I hopefully we'll (laughs) see surfing, like hanging out with some sunglasses, you know, like like Dave Dave big in the city or something. (laughs) (laughs) And I also want to watch uh, the TV series. It's a K drama. It's called extraordinary attorney. Woo. I heard good things about it. Uh, Just speak about K drama, about it. Female police detective. I think that could be interesting. Um, I wanted to watch the new uh, Netflix is always sucking me and I got this new they have this new documentary called the volcano the eruption from Wakari I think it looks at the uh, volcanic eruption in, at White Lake uh, which is this lake and has an acidic lake um, in the 90s and then the last thing I want to watch is called something wild apparently this really inspired uh, I think it was Christmas vacation or, or John Hughes's films too oh, cool. the Jonathan Dem film that was done in the late 1980s and uh, I don't really know the plot of it, <laughs> but uh, it just it had really good reviews. And uh, I'm just going to see if I can Google like a quick synopsis here. Um, yeah, it's, it's a 1986 uh, American action comedy. And uh, still don't know. It's, it's about yuppies and stuff, too. So there's probably some yuppie hate going on. <laughs> but I, I love this. Like, I find it very interesting, too. So it's about a yuppie investment bank who works in New York City, too. So oh, cool. it sounds fun. It sounds fun already. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> What did you add to your watch list this week? Yeah, I got three on my list. Uh, the first one is a Claire Denis film from 2017 called Let the Sunshine In. Um, I don't really know much about it, but it says Isabel, a Parisian artist, divorced mother, is looking for love, true love at last. Starts Stars a, de- uh, this is in quotes, a depressed and terminally horny Juliette Binoche. And uh, I'm very excited because I think Sounds all great. of her, her roles with Claire Denny are so good. Like she just gets so many good performances with her. And another film I have on my list is a is Bodied from Joseph Kahn for 2017. This one's actually kind of like a battle rap film. Stars a progressive graduate student he find, who finds success and sparks outrage when his interest in battle rap as a thesis subject becomes a competitive obsession. And it actually um, 
it's a comedy written by a real life battle rapper by the name of Kid Twist. So it's like it's actually true to kind of this battle rap scene. And uh, from what I could tell, like, it's kind of funny because like it's sort of like when you're in the, the role of battle rap, you kind of have to like look at people and kind of come up with the quickest insults and stuff like that. But like actually showing how you can like do it intelligently and stuff like that. So really, really interested in checking that one out. And the last one on my list is the film 1987, When the Day Comes from uh, came out in 2017 uh by uh jong jun Hwan. uh this one takes place in 1987 korea so kind of during the time of their very oppressive military regime uh, a college student gets killed during a police interrogation which involved torture so government officials are quick to cover up the death um, and order a cremation but when a prosecutor who's asked to sign uh, the cremation release raises questions about the death he begins to look into the case to find the truth um despite an attempt to kind of prevent the truth from getting out this causes a huge public outrage so this is actually of course based on a true story as well too so it's supposed to be like a very moving funny film kind of off kilter a little bit genre bending as well too and it is an historical drama so heard some really great things about it so really uh interested in checking uh that one out and uh i guess that that wraps up for what you added to our watch list now, what we watch this list, and I know you played some stuff this this month too, or yeah. this week too. So, why don't you share what you've uh, what you've watched, uh, Curtis? Yeah, so it's too many good video games to count. But huge shout out to uh, Puppet Combo's Day of the House, which I just recommended to John. Yes, um, this is like it's kind of Texas Chainsaw Massacre style. You're trapped in the house. Uh, I thought I'd be okay on medium mode. I was not okay, <laughs> so I, I switched to easy mode, and <laughs> I was still getting chased by the killer, and I <laughs> killed the awful grandmother with a hammer. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and I also played a. Uh, um friday the 13th killer pu- killer puzzles mm-hmm. um which was a kind of a fun one too it's a free game on steam and basically playing jason Voorhees, and you got pam Voorhees' his head whispering in your ear <laughs> and pretty pretty gross like you guys go around it's basically like manhunt but like with puzzles and kind of cutesy animations because <laughs> i think if it was done like normally it'd be pretty pretty uh, controversial but it was kind of fun and some of the puzzles are quite hard uh the first thing i watched this week was uh one i've been wanting to watch for a while i think it's pretty uh, probably timothy chalamet's best film it's uh, bones and all which just came out absolutely love this film watched it in theaters uh, last movie i'd watched in theaters i i tri- triangle of sadness i, I had to walk out. out this one this one was great i'm still digesting bones and all but it's a visual feast and it's really um i call it a philosophical cannibal love story from uh, director luca guada you know i hope i said his name right so he did call me by your name in the spear remake too so a lot of really kind of risen to prominence re- lately yeah. and really known for his kind of visual um, 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 I guess adaptations, and it stars uh Timothy Chalamet, Russell Taylor Russell, and Mark Rylance. is based on a book too. Mark Rylance is a British actor, actually. He was in the BFG remake in Dunkirk, and it's about two young people who are afflicted with this kind of cannibalistic impulses, and they embark on a road trip together across the '80s Bible Belt and fall in love. Sounds great already. Kind of shades of uh of uh, Terrence Malick's Badlands in there, and uh, maybe No Man Land a little bit too. But I just found it really interesting, you know, they're just going across like the Bible Belt, like Indiana and, you know, all these kind of like uh, scuzzy kind of greasy spoons and, you know, drugstores and stuff. And it's just really interesting. You can almost like, you can almost like smell like the linoleum and stuff too. And it remind, it reminds me kind of a, of a vampire film with a disease where they have a kind of a disease or a curse upon them. And it also kind of reminded me of like kind of the serial killer narratives in the 1980s where they, where the kind of police are really far behind and people just seem to go unexpectedly missing. And you see in this film too, how easily people can go missing and uh, you know, people end up in a cornfield somewhere, you know, they don't know how they got identified yeah. really well done. Uh, it's a feminist film too, so it puts us in uh, the main character is Marin too, and as, uh, she's she's kind of abandoned by her father, and she ends up kind of going across America to look for her mother, who's in a mental institution, and she goes to the cities and streets of the Midwest, and she deals with stalkers and creeps and unreliable parents, and you get people mm-hmm. coming to her, and you're like, oh, this guy is okay, he's just a little bit weird, and then just wait, oh, this guy, this guy's been stalking her since like Indiana, <laughs> and then oh, oh yeah, yeah, like Ooh. this this guy, yeah, he's got weird weird. Uh, he keeps trophies from all the people he ate, and it's, yeah, <laughs> I won't spoil oh, too much. Ugh, yeah, cool, <laughs> so it it, it kind of gets worse and worse, and you realize you know how frightening it must be for some women to be alone and vulnerable in these sketchy parts of the city and targeted, you know, because they are women too. And I think uh, you know it sounds like a really gory movie too, and there are kind of gory parts, but. I think uh, it's more interested in the, the moral implications of their cannibalistic affliction. I'd actually say it's more of a romance movie than a horror movie. Oh, and it's really interesting morally too. So I think the, the author of the book was uh, vegan too. And she has this kind of, uh, it's a kind of more of a moral allegory in that sense. But I think the movie 
is uh, interested too in how they kind of actively re resist eating human flesh. So they only kind of target people who are essentially bullies or not good people too. So Timothy Chalamet is actually this kind of cannibal character who's like has a heart of gold. And I mean, his hair looks really bad <laughs> and his clothes look really bad. But I just I think he's Which probably is hard for my... him. He's got very good. looking. Yeah, hair. he's got a very nice face, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> my girlfriend was like, oh, his hair is really bad in this movie. And I was like, yeah, I don't like it either. <laughs> but like, it's not like the Dune hair, you know. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I think like of all my favorite kind of fictitious characters in the last couple of years, I think. This is my probably my favorite one of my favorite characters I would say. And I think oh, it's cool. Timothy Chalamet's best performance. And I think what makes it special too, even though they kind of eat people, is our empathy for both lead characters. So they're not kind of just like serial killers. They they're eating because they have to survive, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said I think that sets them apart from these kind of psychopathic serial killers. Uh, but it does make us think about why we care about them and how they're different too. And we want them to have the best life. But I maybe this isn't the the kind of film for that too. And uh, David uh, Gordon Green, too, who did the Halloween remake and the new kind of Halloween trilogy. Uh, and Chloe Savigny have cameos, too. So oh, kind cool. of, yeah, kind of fun to keep an eye out for that. And I think this is uh, his uh, Guad Guadadino, I hope I said his name right, his best film so far. Wow. So I think it's worth seeing in theaters, too, because of the visual flair. And uh, I think the, he the ending is quite heavy, uh, better than the book ending. <laughs> I read the book in a couple of days. But yeah, definitely check it out if you get a chance. I think you and Nat would really like that one, too. Um, the next Ooh, thing I watched, I watched uh, Wednesday season one. I finished watching that, and that was great too. Uh, really fun, macabre, and lots of high school mm -hmm. drama and juicy gossip, plus lots of plot twists and turns. I thought Jenna Ortega was perfect as Wednesday Adams, and I really liked uh, Enid too. Who uh, she's kind of like oh, the, the late, yeah, yeah, the kind of <laughs> there's such an interesting juxtaposition because she's kind of like the later a new order to Wednesday's kind of Joy Division, <laughs> <laughs> and I think playing is great um a lot of people complain that it's very similar to a lot of the cw series like, like riverdale, riverdale. Or, yeah, yeah or, or sabrina i i think it's a lot more deeper than that and a lot more personable too and i think it's a lot more effective than either of those series too and it makes it a lot more enchanting too i think americans are always trying to have this kind of uh uh you know um they always want their own kind of version of, of harry potter and that's kind of remains to be seen but i think this series actually probably comes closest to that and i enjoy I enjoyed all the kind of supernatural elements too. And they have like these awful kind of Puritan witch finders. And they also kind of had a lot of these subversions to traditionally gendered monsters. So for example, you get like this male Gorgon character. And my favorite is a female werewolf too. So that was kind of fun to see. And there's a great uh, episode where there's this kind of indictment of uh, werewolf conversion and it doubles as a rejection of, of gay conversion therapy, which I thought was kind of well done. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I really think it's worth watching too. I think, you know, uh, the Harry Potter team tried this with Fantastic Beasts, but they didn't really capture the same magic. But I think yeah. this Wednesday comes a lot closer too, and I I really can't uh, speak highly enough of that. Uh, I also watched um, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio too. So this is the second uh, Pinocchio adaptation I think out this year. I think Disney had yeah. one out with Tom Hanks. Disney I, did I, one I, earlier, yeah. I, I don't know if you liked that one. I didn't really like the the. Tom I didn't, Hanks I didn't one. see. I heard it's terrible. I'm like, yeah, I, I, like I just heard. I love Tom Hanks, but I heard his like kind of fake Italian accent. I was like, yeah, I can't watch this. I'm a Tom Hanks. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, it's like no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so this one is better. It's from Guillermo del Toro too, and you know we know with Guillermo del Toro really cutesy kind of director and always has this, you know, very gothic kind of uh, very visual elements too. And he always has a lot of kind of allegorical messages in this one. Um, so this one is set during, uh, you know, World War II Italy too. So there's kind of a political allegory too. There's kind of oh, like wow. Nazi characters and like they actually have Mussolini in <laughs> a couple of scenes too. So they make fun of Mussolini. So it's obviously a very anti-fascist film, but it, it kind of taps into a lot of the kind of like uh, the moral aspects of that too. Uh, really well done. Uh, kind of all-star cast who they had Kate Blanchett playing a, a monkey <laughs> and they had uh, Tilda Swinton playing death. <laughs> uh, they have like uh, David Bradley who plays, um, he plays Filch in Harry Potter and, uh, and some old bastard in Game of Thrones. They had him playing Geppetto. And uh, yeah, nice. I mean, I, I, there was so much to enjoy here too. I think Christoph Waltz is in it and Ron Perlman, Ron Perlman plays the, uh, the kind of SS guy or whatever, I guess the, the Italian equivalent uh, really well done. I think Finn Wolfhard is in it too. Oh, cool. Um, big yeah, cast. I, wow, yeah. Yeah, big cast. It's beautiful too. All stop motion. And uh, I, I I have to say, I, I found Pinocchio, the character, really fucking annoying. Like that, like, caused some 
you know stars for me but like <laughs> it was it was good like i really liked it i, I, I was like oh god like what stupid i know he's like just it was just born yesterday but so annoying maybe he's a child actor who played it i just found it really annoying but i think it was really good and it's worth seeing there's a lot of kind of plot twists and turns and i think what's interesting with Guillermo del toro is there's a lot of kind of he he breaks from a lot of kind of uh narrative co conventions with his films so uh definitely worth checking out too i think it's kind of in the vein of of uh of uh pan's labyrinth but maybe not as good or uh, the devil's backbone okay. and last thing i watched was uh, i just finished watching today uh, season two of peaky blinders two uh starring uh the great uh killian murphy and sam neill uh plays the the evil uh inspector in it from belfast and i mean i have to say i love i love sam neill and it, i think this is probably the most evil role i've seen him in he was just despicable wow. in this <laughs> um i think it wasn't as good as the first season i think they did a bit of a plot jump at the beginning of uh season two and you know when the, the the main love interest disappeared and then suddenly mm -hmm. sam neill's character had a cane for the whole season and we only learned about it in five seconds so a lot of this season i didn't really know what was going on <laughs> but i was i was very entertained and i think killing killing murphy like is that show so i mean that was yeah. kind of cool to watch um what did you uh, watch this week yeah, well, actually, I'll start it off. I also played a video game. I don't know if I mentioned nice. this one um, a while. I, I played it a while ago, but I, I was looking through my notes, and I couldn't find a record of me mentioning this. But I did play – I actually played a game because I'm – if you know me, I, I'm known to, like, <laughs> play games and just, like, take forever to beat them. But I played a smaller indie game um, called Donut Con County, which uh, I, I loved. It was kind of, like, um, reminiscent of Katamari Damashi. You play as this little – uh raccoon cartoon character it's oh. like a whole like village of little animal characters and basically all the all the levels are like you make this hole on the ground and you have to like, pick up objects and as you pick up <laughs> objects the hole gets bigger so it kind of you kind of go to these levels where you just end up sucking over up the whole entire like level it's like at a local like someone's local house or trailer park and you end up and it's pretty fun like the story was actually pretty silly and fun i love katamari damashi so playing this game gave me those vibes and i had a really fun time playing it um i'd love to see like a more like a, like a new katamari game myself because i i love i love that style of kind of puzzle adventure game um but i did watch some movies of course as well too um watched uh this one's been on my list for a while uh, a girl walks home alone at night which is a mm -hmm. american horror film but it's kind of shot as like an iranian film um shot in black and white as well too pretty kind of interesting take on the, the vampire horror genre because i think this one is um doing something a little bit different taking place in iran um and this kind of like fictional no man land village like it's a city but it's called the bad city and there's like it's not really clear where you are and it's it's kind of being a little bit um ambiguous but this one of the women at this in the city um she ends up taking home one of these this man who's sort of like a, a drug dealer and ends up killing him and she meets this other guy who's sort of under this drug dealer guy his dad's a, a client and kind of strikes up a bit of a relationship i thought it was pretty good but i gotta say like i didn't expect it to be kind of like a mumblecore movie i thought it was gonna be more yeah. like a gothic horror and turn on those subtitles yeah <laughs> it was more of like an offbeat like indie like horror comedy like it was it was good though but it was like a little bit more mumblecore than i was expecting so i was expecting something very elegant and gothic and very scary and it was not at all like that but i still had a very good time with it um also long long awaited watch i've never seen this one but i had to watch singing in the rain the classic musical starring uh the great gene kelly uh debbie reynolds donald o'connor ma movie magic what an amazing film i'm like you know you watch these classic hollywood films and you're like yeah it's good it's still good and singing in the rain what i didn't expect was that singing in the rain is just such a funny film like I was cackling like the whole time. It's a very obviously a matter. I gotta very, watch that. <laughs> it's a very meta story. It's about this uh, this man who he's uh, him and his co-star. These kind of like the hot couple in Hollywood. They have a new film coming out. His name's Don Lockwood, and um, this is taking place right around 1927, right on the time right when Jed the Jazz Singer comes out, which revolution revolutionizes the pictures. At that point onward, no more silent films. It's all about the talkies, and it's about him kind of transitioning into this new era of film. His, his 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 uh female co-star who is kind of a fun villain in this but she has this really nasally like brooklyn voice and like obviously <laughs> doesn't like you know they're, they're they're kind of coaching them on like transatlantic accents and her accent doesn't work for the talkies but he meets debbie reynolds character who it's it's very like i mean if you've seen like uh la la land it's sort of very reminiscent of that film like i mean la la land's obviously aping a lot from singing in the rain but it's like strikes up a relationship with her and it's really gorgeous film really like 
just the choreography, the whole, I, I mean, people recognize the numbers like good morning and like singing in the rain and even like the make them laugh number, but the make them laugh number. I was like, it's some of the best physical comedy in a musical. Like Donald O'Connor is like doing backflips and stuff. It's so funny. Um, I, I had a blast watching it. Like I was just a smile on my face just the whole time. Cause like they really don't make films like this anymore. I know it's kind of a cop out like phrase, but it, it, it's really true. And I uh, watched a few other things as well, too. Just recently, I, as I mentioned, I've been watching Twin Peaks. Finally finished season two of Twin Peaks. Good timing, because as I finished it, I saw the Mayfair is going to be showing Fire Walk with me next week. So yeah, like, it was timing. like meant, meant to be. What did you yeah. think compared to season one? Well, I mean, I think season two is it's much longer. It's like, eight, it's like, drawn, it's like 22 out, episodes yeah. versus the eight from the first season. I would say pound for pound. I say there's probably just as many great episodes, but there is admittedly some filler. Like season, episode 10 yeah. through 17, I was like... Oh yeah, man, it's like, James it's, 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 like, it's, oh. it's like it's like that with season three too. It's like you know, there's a lot. There's, you get all the David Lynch, but like it needs an editor. <laughs> yeah, boy, I'm gonna have another slice of coffee there. <laughs> hey, Coop, Agent like, Dale Cooper. <laughs> I got to crack. Every time I see Gord Cole, I crack up. But I did love it. I thought the resolution to the Laura Palmer story in the middle of the season was really well done. That's whole episode and the yeah, episode following. I, I think really they weren't. Beautiful. They didn't want to answer, and it was supposed to be like a framing device for the whole series. So he's like, yeah. "That's not how I wanted to end my series. I wanted to have it so they didn't find out who killed Laura Palmer." But I think they did wrap it up pretty nicely. I thought it was really well done, and I got to say, the ending I thought with like Gwen Morrow turned out to be a pretty fun villain. I thought it was a really dark, disturbing ending. I could see why this ending came out and fucked people up because it's like i don't want to spoil it like we'll save it maybe for a deeper discussion but yeah like it's just like the way it ends like how how like how much of a downer ending it is for so many of the stories i was kind of like whoa like it really took me by surprise but really well done very excited to watch uh, fire walk with me soon too soon so i'd say like if you haven't watched twin peaks definitely check it out um watched a few other films um i watched uh, that new horror movie smile I, yeah, say I thought it? it was pretty good. It had some pretty good practical facts, kind of a story, a little bit about like trauma. This woman who's like a psychologist, a client kills herself in front of her. She has like this creepy smile and kind of, it, it's almost a little bit like it follows. It's like, she has this mm. like curse now and everyone she goes to, she sees like characters with like, creepy smiles and it kind of gets worse and worse. And I guess a little bit like J horror too, like the ring um, in it too, but I thought it was really good. And there's some really good kind of practical scares with, like involving faces being ripped off. And it was really scary. So I, I actually really appreciated it and uh, was just before bed uh, a couple of nights ago, threw on Ghost, and I fell asleep, but uh, I was watching it. And I mean, who doesn't get weepy watching Ghost, the ending with Patrick Swayze and the oh, man. <laughs> I, I hadn't watched it in a long time. My mom was one of my mom's favorite movies, but I actually forgot like how actually thrilling the movie is. There's a lot of like intrigue. It's kind of like a mystery film. It's like who killed him and the investigation of that's actually really fun. Uh, but yeah, it's it's it got me choked up at the end, you know, where it's like going, yeah, it's just it's very it's a very the beautiful dance, film. Yeah. And Patrick Swayze, I mean, he's just a total charmer in this film. He's great. What a babe. <laughs> and uh, that's that's all I watched. So now we move on to our topic du jour. So of course, let's let's time travel back in time a bit, shall we? So we're in the early seventies, of course. Uh, Bob Clark. Um, becomes involved in this project um was initially developed this film is developed by a canadian screenwriter by the name of roy moore kind of an unfortunate name it wasn't even the name of that like pedophilic senator candidate from like five <laughs> yeah. years ago that yeah, name is forever I, ruined I, I like change my name <laughs> yeah i would i would change my name yeah, yeah. Weinstein, just change your name <laughs> so he so he had wrote the the screenplay for this film it was under the title stop me and uh this inspirations for this film came, of course, from the urban legend, kind of the babysitter urban legend, the idea of like there's a man upstairs in the house the whole time. And so it's kind of based on pretty well-known material. Um, and that during the especially during the 70s, that kind of tale of like, you know, the babysitter in the house calls and it's like the killer's actually in the house. And that became a popular kind of folklore tale during that time. Um, and actually more to his credit was also inspired by real life events. So there had been a series of murders that had occurred in the West Mountain area of Montreal in the 1940s. And so he had kind of based some of the script ideas from those events. And um, although this film is actually filmed in Toronto and it's, it's a very Toronto movie. And I think it's one of the reasons yeah. why I love it so much. It has, that, <laughs> it has that kind of cool Christmas feel of like the kind of Canadian suburbs, these big, elegant, old kind of century homes. And I really love that feeling of it, but uh, Clark did change some of the film a bit. He um, added a little bit more humor to it. I especially love like Mrs. Max character in the film. Like she's just this kind of like, total drunk and like she's like all the girls <laughs> love her but she's just kind of like crotchety like but whenever yeah, the no one's around she pulls out the mickey and takes a swing she got that it's hip, really she got that hip flask ready 
Yeah, so like he added some more humor to the film, and Clark was actually kind of interested in making a movie about college students that actually felt like college students. It didn't feel like these were just like random supermodel. You know, this isn't like a slumber party massacre being taken seriously. This is like <laughs> actual kind of girls you would have seen at your local college at like you would have seen these girls at McGill or at UT mm. or something like that. And um, why why did I pick this movie? I love Black Christmas. One of the I remember watching it for the first time as again like all of my horror obsessions. I watched them with my mom when I was way too young. So I watched this movie. I think I was like 12, 13, and I was just hooked by it. I, I think this film too, it's kind of detriment kind of suffers from the the Seinfeld isn't funny kind of trope where because mm. so many horror films are inspired by this one it's lost a little bit. It's less true. Like obviously. Yeah. I think so. Cause I, I, I when I watched yeah. it too, I felt that way too. A lot of these tropes, I mean, but for like the film, I, done that. Yeah. yeah but, but for the film, I think, you know, it's pioneering, you know, like the, you know, the phone calls and everything too. I mean, that's parodying and like a uh, um, scary movie, but like, I mean, yeah. at the time it's like pretty scary, you know? Yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, I, I think coming back to this film, it's just such a well-made movie. And like, I think tonally it's so good. Like, especially the beginning when you get that phone call and it's, God, that phone call is so creepy and disturbing. He's like, he's just going on and on. He's like, oh, I want to fuck you. Like, he's just, it feels authentic. It feels like a call that women can recognize and probably have experienced. Some women have experienced their own lives. Like, yeah, there's no, there's no caller ID then back then too, right? You don't know who's calling you. (laughs) Yeah. And I I also love in this movie, one of my favorites is Margot Kidder. Because I think Margot Kidder's Barb character is such an interesting character too. Because there's such a wide variety of girls, like different personality types. And Barb's funny, like, they go to the police station, she has, like, a can of Labatt 50, which I, I had a 50 last night, and I was like, oh, whenever I see the 50 <laughs> in that movie, I'm, like, clued in, but she kind of, like, ends up passing out later in the movie, like, she just goes, goes to bed, and it's like, kind of gone for the rest of the movie, but really fun <laughs> mix of personalities. I think the film speaks to the idea of, you know, Christmas, oftentimes we associate Christmas and Christmas movies, the idea of like family and being close. A lot of Christmas movies deal with kind of the anxiety of family, of Christmas vacation. Even Home Alone is a little bit like, you know, families fractured. And Chris, and I think the story works really well as a Christmas film because it's the idea of, you know, for a lot of people, a lot of young single people, Christmas can be very lonely. And so the idea mm-hmm. of like, you know, the winter semester's ended, friends have kind of gone away. You're kind of stuck in this, it's like a liminal space. You're like, oh, I'm just in this house. There's, you know, it's, it's nothing's really going on. It's empty. And, you know it even the neighborhood's kind of desolate because everyone's away and i find that really appealing to me i think there's something true to that like that christmas season where i I don't tend i have a small family so i tend not to do a lot of big christmas outings so sometimes i spend a lot of my christmases just kind of at home and i like to go (laughs) out in the neighborhood and it's like quiet everyone's in their own little homesteads everyone's got their own traditions and i so there's something fun about that but there's something a little bit alienating about that too when you're kind of seeing it outside so i really appreciate that kind of aspect of it uh, too as well but the, i mean this cast is really loaded i gotta say like olivia hussey of course plays a great role as jess yeah 2001 man himself kier uh, kier dalia playing uh <laughs> playing peter like i can't help but think of like no when i see him he's like the star child right well, so uh, olivia, <laughs> olivia hussey is, is pretty great too because i think i don't know about you but i always used to watch that romeo and juliet adaptation with her in it when I was in high school and um, I mean, I think she's kind of coming out of that too. And I mean, mm-hmm. she's a really good final or maybe not final girl, you know, in this ambiguous. Yeah, and, ambiguous. And, and this was not, well, I guess uh, not too long after Romeo and Juliet. I mean, that's mm-hmm. her most famous movie playing Julia in that film. And apparently the reason she actually appeared in this movie is because she went to a psychic and the psychic told her she would make a film in Canada that would earn a lot of money. Very odd. I was the more I read about her, like kind of background in relation to this film, I'm like well, she seems like a weirdo, <laughs> like like a Luna Lovegood yeah. character or something. Uh, but uh, a lot, a lot of great roles in this, and that the the role of Mrs. Mac actually originally was also first offered to Bette Davis, which would have been a really cool uh, late career role for her. And of course, a lot of Canadians in this too. You know, obviously Margot Kidder, Bette Davis eyes. <laughs> yeah, and of course the great Andrea Martin's also in this. I like her role as Phil. I think it's a really fun role and. Uh, wouldn't would would it wouldn't be a good 70s exploitation horror without John Saxon, the God King himself? Oh yeah, kind of the put, him in it, put him in everything. Yeah. And he's even in the trailer. It's like and John Saxon. I see that. I'm like yeah. perfect. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm a big John Saxon head. Uh, he actually replaced kind of Ed, Ed O'Brien was supposed to be in the film, but very late they started shooting it. He arrived in Toronto two days before the film was shot and he got really sick. He, had, he was failing health at the time. And so John Saxon kind of took over real quickly. He was in the, I think he was in the area. He was like in upstate New York and kind of was able to get in quickly across the border and film. It's kind of an interesting time just for Canadian films because 
the 70s and the 80s a lot of really well-made horrors made in canada because mm. back then it was very cheap to film movies people realized how cheap it was to film in canada so you ha- kind of had this boom in the 70s 80s of a lot of horrors some popular some lesser known uh but a lot of them did if they if they were successful did very well financially because you, you saved a lot of money filming in canada mm. i mean to this day most movies are like made in canada here in ottawa go you can't you can't throw a rock without hitting a hallmark movie here here, here <laughs> in ottawa guys yeah i think they they made a record amount of the Drowning last year like hallmark. 90 of them or Fuck something yeah, like, yeah each, each one equally as bad as the next <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh yeah, so this was shot, of course, in Toronto, and it feels very authentically Canadian. For You're probably wondering if you're listening, like, what's the story? So this film is about um, these group of young girls. They live at a sorority house. Um, it takes place in the 70s. And um, what's interesting is you see from the killer's perspective, which is probably old hat now because a lot of films have done that, you know, notably Halloween. And Halloween has an interesting connection to this film because, as we talked about on the Halloween episode, um, John Carpenter actually approached Bob Clark to discuss his movie and this was originally originally going to be framed as like well halloween was going to be framed as like a black christmas sequel and bob clark kind of said what are you thinking he's like oh i'm thinking of making a movie or no sorry john carpenter asked bob clark like what would you do if you made another film he's like i would kind of make like a sequel maybe like a different season and that gave carpenter the idea of making halloween but ended up doing his own thing and it's kind of weird to think that these films kind of have that actual shared creative connection um almost like there could have been another universe where halloween was like black halloween i don't know something part of the same (laughs) kind of cinematic universe so to speak but uh, this film of course we follow this kind of mysterious first person perspective this guy climbs into this house up into the roof into the attic and of course that's sort of the main draw of this film is that there's this killer this deranged maniac in the upstairs attic of the house he's inside the house and the women don't know what's going on. They get strange phone calls coming from the house, from this man. And it's kind of like the realization of what's actually happening. And then, of course, some deaths happen. There's actually a really, I think, really prescient storyline with Jess and her boyfriend, Peter. Because with the abortion, yeah. Yeah, and I think like I was surprised like watching this, like how well that's hold up. Because like it's a, it's a, it's a conversation that people have probably had amongst themselves and you know, Peter is kind of putting pressure on Jess and she's yeah, kind of how, how angry he gets too. Like, it's like, it's man, it's not your body. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, well, well, we're, we're spoiler territory. This plays into the ending where it's like, you think mm. Peter's the killer and it's like, maybe it's because of this possible, she wants to kill that. She wants to abort the baby and he doesn't. And there's, there's this angle there. And then that leads to kind of a very, very dark and ambiguous ending for a slasher film where it's like, she's alone in the house. The police are kind of finished the investigation and know the killer's still in the house and it's one of the darkest endings i think in a slasher i really enjoy a lot of the kills in this i think bob clark uh, you could see a little bit of that when you watch like christmas story where he goes to see santa it's like very like dutch angle and very like everyone's <laughs> got like over exaggerated expressions and it feels very manic and you see a little bit of that with the killer in this where it's like all like kind of voyeuristic angles and he's like raging and he's like and he's smashing everything it's very you feel feels very terrifying and um some great shots as well too like the famous kill with the bag over the face the plastic bag and then you see that of course in the windowsill it's a very kind of creepy still shot um yeah and this film of course was made over uh 1974 it was actually released in October of that same year um and I, I think this film like again I, I think for some people this film might be a little bit old hat as I said because it's it's not really reinventing the wheel compared to a lot of other more modern horror slashers but for its time there was really nothing else like this this predates Halloween this predates Friday the 13th and you know I, I think obviously a film like Halloween is very deferential to this film and that's sort of considered not quite but almost like the ear text for a whole decade of slashers to come mm. and I, I think that's something but I still think to this day that this film um is really worthy um have you seen the uh the sequels and and remakes of Black Christmas as well no too? I was gonna say too because I, I heard that I, I heard the remake was really bad it had like 3.5 out of 10 on oh on no yeah uh, I don't know if you watched it at all but I I actually haven't. I haven't. Actually, I, haven't, I, I yeah. almost watched it recently. I saw it on Shutter. I'm like, oh, I kind of want to check out because in 2006 they made a, <laughs> a a remake. And I will say, like Curtis said, bad reviews. But actually, lately it's been getting a reappraisal. Some people I was on Letterbox, a lot of five stars. I was like, okay, the 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 kids have spoken. Maybe this film is worth something. But <laughs> they also made another, I think, a remake recently, which from what I can read is another woke exploitation film. So I'm gonna have to watch this because I need to see this. I need to see yeah, another see. script, another script written by Twitter. I need to see this. Oh man, but. Uh, uh, but I think it's it, it speaks to the kind of the material because I think the material is so versatile and so prescient that you can you can actually you can make like a modern 
film based on the same premise uh, obviously technological changes and all that uh change some things up but um it, it makes for a very versatile film um but I, I i think this film like does does really well with kind of the way it, it kind of the story envelops especially with with jess in the house later in the film when she realizes yeah. what's going on you that kind of horror sets in of like i'm not safe because being in your house is the ultimate form of safety you feel so comfortable in your own space the idea of that being taken away from you is is terrifying um and that being taken away from you and not knowing where and when this thing will strike you know there's something in your house mm. it's not well, there I, yet it's not jason it's not a monster chasing after you it's yeah it's some person or, or pam Voorhees, you know <laughs> but like yeah, yeah it's, or, <laughs> it's and today's his birthday <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday jace yeah because this, this is amazing you know i think this film gets kind of overlooked too because you mm -hmm. know everyone's you know key to talk about friday the 13th or nightmare on elm street too but i mean yeah. this came first you know i mean after the a lot of giallo films but around that time too when there were a lot of these giallo films coming out and just became its own thing and established so many like conventional tropes and um genre tropes and stuff yeah yeah and uh this film was also like i think the way that it was shot too like uh there was some quotes like john saxon who joined the film said that like bob clark actually storyboarded the whole film like pretty much scene for scene was all done by him so that when they actually filmed it it was a very smooth process he said you know i could understand exactly what i needed especially as someone coming to into the film pretty late having that kind of clear vision of what it's supposed to be makes me think of when we talked fright night another film that was very meticulously mm. storyboarded and it's like okay this is pretty much the whole movie just like acting it and like having that level of control is, is very impressive and uh, a lot of kind of fun stuff like all the pov shots scaling the house they actually created a rig uh designed by the op camera operator bert uh dunk that would kind of like go over attached to his head and would as he climbed up the house so kind of elaborate the way they actually like filmed and and designed this appar apparatus and um kind of a fun quote I, I read from Margot Kidder of course she said she remembered the, the making of this movie being very fun she said uh, she really bonded with Andrea Martin they filmed in Toronto and other parts of Ontario she said Olivia Hussey was a bit of an odd one she was obsessed <laughs> with the idea of falling in love with Paul McCartney through her psychic we were a little hard on her for things like that and see everything I hear about Olivia Hussey I'm like she sounds like a little bit of an odd odd ball but uh, <laughs> I love her um, yeah and actually what's interesting to you is this film of course came out in 1974 it was released in America closer to the Christmas season this actually came out with like a different title as well too in the States uh, um, it was released as, um, I believe, um, oh, what's the, what was the title? Stranger in the House. So it was released on American networks under a different title. I guess they didn't think Black Christmas would be appealing or something of that ilk, but uh, uh, nonetheless, did was released and was a pretty big hit. They actually originally were going to have also different endings as well, too. There was some studio meddling as well, too. They wanted to kind of have a more darker but more distinct ending, but Clark really wanted to make the ending ambiguous. He thought that added to the film's kind of uh Lester. Another title that was used in the States was Silent Night, Evil Night, which is a, actually you gotta say a pretty pretty silent night dead so kind of like silent deadly night, which would be fun. So kind of, yeah. <laughs> actually no, sorry, the reason why they changed the title Black Christmas is this was coming out during the height of Black Exploitation. They were worried audiences would think that this was a black exploitation movie. Black Christmas, oh, it's gotta have uh, you know, a lot of uh african-american actors and then it's no of course not but that's that would have been fun yeah i want to see yeah, like a black exploitation like, pam, pam greer like kicking some serial yeah out. yeah <laughs> Pulling out a gun, like, <laughs> that would have been great when this film came out it was the third highest grossing canadian film of all time in canada just a hair behind uh one of my favorite books and and films of course the apprenticeship of duddy kravitz and uh the french language film uh du femme en all uh, directed by Claude Fournier. Um, this would actually be a pretty financially successful film, as you might expect as a Canadian production. Um, but this film actually had some real-life controversy. So in 1978, the film was just about to air on NBC. And two weeks prior to its release, uh, the Shy Omega sorority house on the campus of Florida State University was the scene of a double murder in which two Shy Omega sisters asleep in their beds were bludgeoned to death. Mm. The killer then went to a nearby room in the sorority house and violently attacked two more sleeping co-eds. The killer, what was the killer's name? Ted Bundy, who was later executed and tried as part of these crimes. So this came out during the same time as the Bundy murders. And when this incident happened, they actually pulled it off TV. They didn't air the movie because they were worried it was going to be a huge uh, controversy. Oh, so... 
um it's kind of weird to think of a movie like that having that kind of power but you know back then the television movies were such a th- phenomena like i don't think I, I mentioned it before when we talked someone's watching me but the the 70s and 80s even into the 90s was kind of the height of the tv movie era you'd be watching network late night tv it's like tonight it's at saturday at 7 p.m so and so stars in and this was like a huge people would do their whole schedules to watch these movies so these were big phenomena these like television films and so the idea that this would you know have to get pulled um does make sense when you consider like this would have been watched by god millions of people like these things so um and when this film came out you know initially the reviews were a little bit mixed but it kind of grew praise people came to see this film as being very influential to the slasher subgenre of horror um as well as kind of its, its brilliant casting and its kind of voyeuristic direction and even that kind of dark ending and i think you know the abortion hold that whole abortion plot really mm. holds up really well when i come to it when i watch this movie today i'm struck by you know number one how relatable and fun the women in this movie are and how authentic they feel and how authentic the horror feels and not just the horror of like you know the killer but also knowing that there's like a fucking deranged lunatic in your house and going yeah. to the police and they're kind of like yeah we'll get back to you in a week and it's like the idea of like the police and systems that are meant to protect vulnerable people notably women aren't there that's a very yeah. uh, easily appealing, scary f- notion for women. And it's yeah. true. <laughs> it's like this film really captures that really well. The police kind of suck in this film. Yeah, like a really good a good feminist film in that way too, I think. Yeah. And uh, what did you think of the ending of the film? Like, I mean, a bit of a spoiler, but did you like the ambiguity of it? Or do you think it was... It, I loved it. I mean, it's yeah. really dark with Peter because it's like, mm. you know, you think it's kind of frames him as the killer. And it's mm. when you rewatch it, you're kind of like, oh, I feel kind of bad for him. Because, you know, I mean, he's like not a great guy, but he's like, he's not the guy who did these crimes. And so it's mm. yeah, it's kind of tough watching it. But then, you know, it does have that kind of bleak ending where you're like, something else is happening. But I like that because it's like, it, it feels a little bit like, a sp- you know, this is based off folklore. Yeah. It gives it that kind of sp- it's like, it's like the original Halloween. Well, you know, mm. which came out after this film, but Halloween, much like this film, ends with, the shape is gone, but you know what? This doesn't yeah. matter because the shape isn't even human. It can be anywhere. It's this yeah. kind of idea of the season itself and kind of this folklore horror kind of holding at Supreme. And this kind yeah. of has a little bit of that too. It's like the killer is the killer still there. Is they, are they not there? We hear the breathing much like with Halloween or the, I think another yeah, like, which bit off this movie. Possibly even supernatural, you know, we don't even really know. And yeah. I think it's interesting too, you know, if you're coming out of the, the giallo films you know like they always have those like crazy subplots this guy's like a misogynist killer because his yeah. sister died of like polio when she was five or yeah something. now he's <laughs> a transvestite there's a weird like yeah, the, yeah the sexual yeah. politics are pretty uh hard to watch but you're like ah yeah you know, argento god love him you know yeah yeah so yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of exciting to see that kind of ambiguous ending i think with this yeah one. i feel like a lot of giallos kind of over explain themselves They're like, <laughs> yeah. well, here's exactly why when i heard this music i would turn into a killer it's like oh my god you're really like the exposition <laughs> this thing is killing me yeah. But, uh, uh yeah and i i think you know this film obviously has kind of built up a pretty big cult following you know i'm part of the black christmas cult um um and you know it the went on to inspire, of course other slashers halloween and all the films that halloween inspired um, and of course, since then, it's been kind of ranked pretty highly on a lot of lists of the scariest films of all time or uh, things of that ilk. It's It's gone on to have a really, really kind of big reputation. And I think, again, people have kind of come back to this film because, um, well, Bob Clark says he didn't want this film to have a political leaning. I mean, it's like kind of like a death of the author. The film obviously has its own viewpoint. You know, the idea of Jess having agency making the choices in the film that she does the portrayals again of casual misogyny you know the police kind of initially don't really take this seriously and and they don't even take claire's absence seriously at all and it kind of felt shows how women can kind of feel isolated not only by men out there who want to literally murder them and rape them but like the the systems institutions to protect them are useless and it's kind of dealing with that and i i think and again with the kind of bleak tone of this film really well done and i also have a really killer trailer i don't know if you see the trailer for this film but it's like very long, lengthy but it's it's a it's pretty pretty captivating trailer a lot of these like 70s horror trailers are just wild they're like get really creative we'll tell you the whole story of the movie and it's like, and it's they, like they got the guy like with the, the deep they have like i love like the grainy effect too like presented in technicolor and you hear like yeah you, hissing, like the, you hear the hissing. popping it's like <sighs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, you know, they got they got with the deep voice. It's like starring Pam Greer and Margot Kidder. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah, always the same uh, guy for some reason. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like the yeah, the truly guy in a world where it's like that guy had a long <laughs> career. He had a long. Yeah. So yeah, I guess voice. we can get into our scores. I don't really have much more to say. I, I got to say, like, I, I'm gonna just give you know, just 
just throw it out there. Five out of five for me. I love this film. Um, I think it's brilliant. One of my favorite slasher films of all time. I come back to this movie more and I love, I love Friday the 13th. Again, big Friday guy, but I come to this movie a lot more than a lot of the Friday sequels. I think if you're going to watch something, it's a great Christmas film as well. Feels very authentic to the Christmas season, very bleak, the kind of isolating holiday feeling, but also just a really fun movie. And the fact that it's Canadian, like I love seeing, I'm like, oh yeah, that's like Toronto. Like it, it feels very authentic. It's shot there. Um, and I love seeing the 50, you know, one of my favorite beers. So when I, I actually <laughs> love that fucking scene, like they're all like, they're trying to talk to the cops about what's going on. And Margot Kidder just slides in drunk off, drunk as a skunk, drinking a 50. And it's kind of like, yeah. And she's kind of like flirting with the cops of it and kind of like messing <laughs> around with them. And I, I love that. I love the relation. The women in this are so fun. Like I love their, this whole dynamic in this. It's a really great movie. Um, I will say, go into it with an open mind because, again, this isn't reinventing the wheel. For its time, it was, but there's so many horror films since then that have kind of aped it or doing the same thing. So you might watch it and be like, oh, what's the big deal? But kind of go into it with a bit of a scholarly mindset. Be like, hmm, what kind of things can I deduct? That w-? If I if I pretended like this, there was never any slashers and I watched this for the first time, how would I feel? So go into it with open eyes. I think you might dig it. Easy five out of five for me. How about you, Curtis? Yeah, so I think there's a lot to like here too. I like how it sets up this genre tropes for me. I think you know I I do I didn't get a chance to rewatch this week, and it's I think it's one I would benefit from rewatching because I think um, you know there's a lot there's lots of little things to enjoy, and I like a good you know feminist film too. So, um, but yeah, I think I think for me too, I you know I've just seen so many slashers now. I th- a lot of it felt like almost cliched. Which maybe isn't fair too, because I mean I have to think about where it's coming from. But I gave it three and a half out of five, so still pretty good. And I think yeah. it's definitely worth watching for Canadian cinema and also for like the history of horror cinema. I think it's definitely yeah, yeah. and it must see. And I think it's nice too to have more f- focus on this film too, because like I said too, it gets kind of overlooked for Friday the Thirteenth, which isn't a bad thing because those movies are fun. But like it's nice to see what comes before that, and it's a nice kind of intermediate piece between the the eighties mayhem and and you know the, the Giallo film too. So yeah, true. Yeah, it's very, very giallo inspired. I'd say like it's very obviously influenced by like Bava and Argento and a lot of, and a lot of those films. Which you know, the horror films of the seventies. Other than that, where a lot of them were pretty straightforward psychological mm-hmm. films. I guess The Exorcist really kind of blew open the whole industry. But a lot of the films then weren't, weren't doing like like that. But yeah, I, I got to say fair fair review, and I, I think. I think overall 4.25, so pretty good scores. Yeah, I almost put this as my canon film. Like, I this could have worked. I, I, I've been wanting to do like a, a CanCon series. This also would have worked. So <laughs> this is like a triple threat movie. Uh, but I'm very excited to talk about it over what? the Christmas season because it is at its heart a Christmas movie. It's really fun how everything kind of links together too. We had kind of a spooky December and we end with a spooky December film too. <laughs> and I was reading kind of a fun fact because one of my favorites is uh, I love Christmas Vacation and Home Alone. And I was reading that uh, Chris, Chris Columbus um, he wanted to do like a Christmas film, so he was asked to direct a National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, but he hated Chevy Chase, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> and so didn't, he ended yeah. up doing Home Alone. So thanks to uh, awful Chevy Chase, we ha- we have Home Alone, which is that's not interesting. A bad thing. That's <laughs> yeah. why, yeah, because I think was it John Hughes going to be involved in Home Alone, like directing it, or I, I, I think so, maybe. Uh, but like yeah. nobody wants to work with Chevy Chase. So <laughs> and that kind of yeah, as we t- as we said, like that was Chris Columbus's kind of big break, and that made his whole career. Mm. So kind of funny how little moments like that could just make or break, you know, someone's whole life uh kind of crazy to think of so yeah and if you're folks listening at home do you do you have a, a favorite christmas movie we've talked about them last year we've done some this year is there anything that we haven't mentioned you're probably like it's a wonderful life <laughs> we will do all of the other reindeer I, I fucking love it's a wonderful life but come on like you can't like you can't give away the whole cow you gotta you know give away a little bit yeah so, you know we we, got, we'll, we get, we'll, get, we'll get an episode on it's wonderful life sometime oh maybe next yeah year. yeah <laughs> i love that movie like the end <laughs> <laughs> and your Jimmy, and your Jimmy uh, Stewart Jimmy. is really fun. <laughs> Jimmy, uh, whatever I hear it, I crack. You know, Mister Potter, you're you're a spider. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! So, folks, I think this might be our last episode before the New Year. So, as we're kind of winding things down, first and foremost, Happy New Year, of, everyone! We got lots of good stuff look coming up next year, though, don't we? What, oh, we, what do we got coming up, John? We got a smorgasbord of content. So you're probably been listening. You're like, when are they going to talk about Halloween 6? We didn't finish it. Well, come on. You know, patience. We are going to talk Halloween 6 in the new year. We're yes. going to talk the curse. Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd will not be left behind. <laughs> Paul K. Rudd. Or I don't know his name in the movie. It's not Paul Rudd. It's like Paul initial Rudd because it was his first yeah. film. You have to kind of seem like a serious actor. Uh, yeah. We're going to be talking Halloween 6. We're going to be talking. Oh, God. What else? I think we're going to. I've suggested we do an episode listing out what were the final scores on all the Carpenter movies he did from top to bottom, kind of run through and be like, I, cause I have a list of where I've ranked them kind of see where did we fall 
compared to it? What, what are kind of fun parting thoughts? Kind of run through it, speed around it. Um, we're also going to be starting off our Ridley Scott watch series. I'm going to be talking the do list. I've never seen the do list, but really good reviews. I've been and then doing alien. some research, reading the notes, been doing the work, and people love the do list. A lot of do list heads out there. And Alien. Oh, God. Alien's a classic. Like, there's so. Mm-hmm. I started writing the notes for it. I'm like, fuck, because it's like the Wikipedia article is like, 50 pages long i'm like oh my god so much shit because like, like and i'm 10 like oh. documentaries on it <laughs> i'm like am i gonna watch yeah because like I-, I grew up with like the alien quadrilogy dvd set and like the fucking bonus features just like fucking five hours of like a documentaries i'm like oh my wait oh my there's god, more so yeah. and there's a director's cut too of alien and of course the aliens the aliens director's cut is also very good and alien I love isolation the, yeah i love the scene with like the that's cut from the original aliens but with the machine gun where it's like they're the sensor it's like the auto gun it's like shooting them when they come up on the and then they look on the radar and there's like 50 of them or whatever. And it's just yeah. like, no, 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 no. like the shells everywhere. Like, oh man, that's such a good scene. Um, you know, Jimmy Cameron, of course, co- coming out big. He's still in the business with Avatar, the big, way of the big water. James. So. Might, might actually check that out. I'll, I don't know if I'll have time to check it out, but we had a, we had a big snowstorm here this weekend, massive snowed up. I don't think anyone saw Avatar. Probably some people rolled out for it, but uh, we'll try to get to it at some point, but we've got um Ridley Scott, a couple of, um, I will say as well, because this could be pertained if you're interested to come on, there's a lot of milestones that are happening this year. So we're going to be talking Casablanca because it's the, mm. I believe, the 80th anniversary of that film mm-hmm. this year. And then later in April is the 90th anniversary of the release of one of my favorites. Maybe it'll be a canon episode, King Kong, one of my favorite <laughs> all time. A film that holds up, damn it. It's still a really enthralling film to watch. So I'd be really excited to talk that classic one. And if there's anything else out there that you're interested in uh be albeit christmas or anything else reach out to us but happy to have you on for the new year um yes i'm very excited to talk some new movies and it'll be fun to start a new watch series with like i think so too nice talks i haven't seen a lot of his deeper cuts because i've seen you know everyone's seen like blade runner and alien and yeah the apple commercial yeah i haven't seen like i looked at his filmography i'm like there's a lot of stuff that like i haven't seen i'm not looking forward to like exodus but i mean like well gi jane i want to do the editing for gi jane because i want to put in the chris rock where will smith punches he's like it was a gi jane joke i want to like put that (laughs) (laughs) sounds good (laughs) but uh yeah anything else uh you want to mention curtis thank you for coming on it's it's my flu game today i'm very hungover so yeah i hope you feel better how about the seven up or iron brew yeah the seven up, I'm gonna. I, I gotta Care, get on the iron brew. The dog. I gotta get on the iron brew train or whatever. Yeah, that, that sounds. Hop cool. on. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Anything? Uh, anything going on? You want to plug, uh, Curtis? Uh, not really. No. I uh, I re- really recommend seeing Bones and all in theaters if you can. Yeah. If not, I think it's coming to uh, um, online soon. So uh, worth worth checking out. Cool, cool. I'll plug Prime uh, Prime. Prime t- Prime Timothy Chalamet. So. Oh, Prime Timothy. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll plug uh, Domestic Pints only, my beer pod. I don't plug it all the time in the pod, so I'll give it a shout out. If you like beer, if you like podcasts where you drink, great review beer, check us out. And that uh, takes us out of the season. So, folks, Happy New Year. We'll see you all again very soon. Take Have care, a everyone. scream. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs>